Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. And so, we've looked at the Bible, repentance from dead works, faith towards God, baptisms, and now the laying on of hands. And as we finished last week, I remember finishing the message by saying, look, we are saved to serve. We have been set apart by God to be his people. And that is a people who exist in community. The notion of the individualistic view of Christianity has no place from a biblical perspective. I remember seeing a certain famous individual who was on a Channel 4 program. Any of you remember the program, The Word? Yeah. (laughs) One of those cutting edge youth programs of its time. And this famous individual was on there and this individual was known for his music, chart topping, world-beating music, and he had been out of the limelight and was making a comeback. And as he attempted to make this comeback, he put new music out and so on, and he was being interviewed. And I remember the interviewer saying, and I understand that um, you're a Christian, and you're a Christian minister. And all of a sudden... My man got sheepish, he got cagey, he got uncomfortable on the chair, on big sofa that they had there, and it was like he had pins, and he was, well, you know, you know, well, you know, um, well, you know, you know, well, you know, um, um, well, you know, that's, well, that, well, that's personal, that's personal, that's personal, that's between me and God. And that was his way of avoiding identification with Christ. And his people. And I remember thinking, how unfortunate is that? What a a wonderful opportunity to testify to the work of God in your life. And the reason I don't name his name is because I know that I'm no better. And I've blown opportunities likewise. On numerous occasions. And so I'm not trying to hot a brother up. But I think just the notion that was communicated stuck with me. This notion of it's between me and God is personal. You know what? You don't see that in scripture. That's unsustainable if you're going to look through scripture to try and back it up. The reality is that we are born again into a family. We become part of a community. And being part of a community, we recognize that we are to interact and play our part within that community. And so we are saved to serve. We are saved to, to be ministers of reconciliation to those who are lost and to those who are found. God has a purpose for all of our lives. And we see that clearly reflected I mean, we look at the book of Ephesians, and as we look at the book of Ephesians, we see God give a number of metaphors by way of revealing the character and nature of us, his people, the church. We see the church as a family. We see the church as a nation. We see the church as a temple. We see the church as a body. We see the church as a bride and we see the church as an army. And that's unfolded as you go through Ephesians 1 to 6. 
And there are two things that each of them have in common, at least two things. One is strength and the other is structure. One is strength and the other is structure. And with regards to the practice of the laying of hands, we see likewise that both of those things are conveyed in the practice of the laying of hands. Now, I want to give you a, a, a verse to kind of anchor your thinking. And so, if you look at 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 14. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 14. And we see the Apostle Paul talking to Timothy, his son in the faith. First Timothy 4 verse 14 says, Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. So, hold that before you. We see two things communicated. We see something of that which Timothy received by reason of the laying of hands. And we see it specified as to who was responsible for laying their hands. We see that which Timothy received by the laying on of the hands. And we also see it specified as to who was responsible for putting their hands on him. Now, we'll arrive back there. I want you to journey with me. Hands. The laying on of the hands. What is so special about hands? Furthermore, why is it practiced that hands are put on anyone? Furthermore, is it even appropriate practice that we should lay our hands on anyone? And some of us, after our experiences in certain Christian environments where we've had hands laid on us, again, we might be tempted to throw the baby out with the bathwater. So I talked last week about my friend who was subjected during tarrying services to hands being laid on him regularly. And after that experience, it would have been easy to think, well, what is this all about? This is a nonsense. You know what? Unhand me. Just, just, un just don't touch me. You know, certain times you just kind of get like that. You just, someone's talking to you and they're putting, don't, don't, don't touch me. Should we be feeling like that when we consider the laying on of hands? Evidently not. To do so would be to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Firstly, when we look in scripture, throughout scripture, we see that the hand is used as a metaphor or as a symbol of God's working. We see that clearly. It's used as a metaphor or symbol of, of God's working. And so, for example, Hebrews 1 verse 10 says, and you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. 
Now, we see this also in Acts eleven twenty one, And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number believed and turned to the Lord. And again, and now, sorry, in Acts 13. And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you. And you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. So we see throughout scripture, there are numerous examples of the term hand being used as a symbol of God's working, as a metaphor of God's power being released. I say symbol because technically, does God have hands? We see in John chapter 4, Jesus states, God is a spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So, is it that God has hands or even spirit hands? Or is it just terms being used to help us to identify with and relate to God in his mysterious and marvelous working? Which is really more the point. I mean, the Bible says that in him we live and move and have our being. In him. And so if all that exists, exists in him, even the notion of having spirit hands. We've done an exercise in school this week and somebody had to play the part of God and they said, "Um, yeah, we want you to just try and pretend you're God. And he said, well, what shall I do? I mean, jazz hands, waving over the face of the deep. And that was the first thing that came to mind when he's thinking, how can I convey God being present and working? Mommy. (laughs) But the notion of hands is used throughout scripture as a metaphor and it's just that. The technical term is anthropomorphic examples. Anthropomorphic speech. Basically taking human characteristics and ascribing them to God. And God does that of himself. And it helps us to understand him a bit better and to relate to him and identify with him. And so we see that principle there. And there are two general categories, if you like, that it boils down to. Endowment and endorsement. An impartation of blessing and an ordination of authority. And so we're going to look at the two categories. First of all, let's consider impartation. The endowment. Cast your mind back to the Old Testament. Situation with Isaac, Jacob and Esau. What happened? When it came time for the blessing of the birthright to be conveyed, Esau was out. Jacob came under his mum's encouragement. No, it's his mother's day, you know, I had to slip that one in. With his mum's encouragement. (laughs) That's the next story, anyway. And he put on. Skins, hairy skins, so that when Isaac, whose eyes were dim, when they touched him, when he touched him with his hands, he would, he would feel him and think that he was Esau. Because Esau was rough and rugged, the man of the field, a hunter. Her. But Jacob was a mummy's boy in the house. Around the apron strings. And so when Isaac felt him, thinking it was Esau, he laid hands on him and conferred the blessing. 
And then we see later on in Genesis, Jacob now is there with Ephraim and Manasseh. And he is now going to confer the birthright blessing. And what does he do? He lays hands also, right? But he doesn't lay hands in the way that was expected. Jacob crosses his hands so that his right hand, which represents the, the authoritative, more substantive blessing, went upon the younger. And his left hand went on the older, where it was supposed to be the older that got the blessing of the birthright. And so he crossed his hands and prayed and conferred the blessing. Now maybe he, ha- he was having flashbacks of his misspent youth. I suggest cheekily. Maybe he was thinking, hmm, I know what I'd done when I was in that situation, so maybe I better just recognize that, that hmm, they could be trying one. Trying to pull a fast one. Well, I know what to do, then I'll cross my hands and they're not going to catch me out. Evidently not. He'd done so by the leading of the Spirit of God. <clears throat> but he crossed his hands and it was significant. And we see there the conveying of blessing by means of the laying on of hands. In the New Testament, likewise, we see Jesus with children, Matthew 19. It says in verse 13, the little children were brought to him that he may put his hands on them and pray. But the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, let the children come to me and do not forbid them. For of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed from there. And so again, the people came with the children with an expectation that Jesus would put his hands on them. Because they recognized that there was something significant about the laying on of hands. There was something significant about Jesus putting his hands on them. And even when he did put his hands on them, it doesn't even say that he prayed for them. Matthew doesn't record the fact that he even said anything. We just see in verse 15 that he laid his hands on them. So again, we see that impartation of blessing and yet we see affirmation there. The the sense of acceptance. The sense of Don't run them away from me. They're accepted. Likewise, with regards to impartation, we see the laying of hands as a means by which God ministers healing. A means by which God ministers healing. And so in Luke 4 verse 40 it says, When the sun was setting, all those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Speaking of Jesus. In Matthew 5, Jairus, sorry, Mark 5. Jairus came to him and begged Jesus, saying, my daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. And so we see again the expectation that God would do something at the point at which hands were laid. Now we recognize that God is not limited to the laying of hands because there were many situations where, and even in the situation with Jairus, we see that as they made their way, the report came that the child had been healed. And so God is not limited to the laying on of hands 
But we see that he does not exclude the laying on of hands through which he would minister healing. Now, we'll clarify that with regards to what does that mean to us today? Because many of us are maybe familiar with quote-unquote healing ministries where healing meetings are held and the expectation is that everyone who attends the meeting, all that is needed is for them to have hands laid on them and they will leave healed. And is this a proper and right understanding and application of what we see in scripture? And so we'll clarify that shortly. But in principle, let us recognize that from scripture we see by the laying on of, laying on of hands, there was blessing imparted. And that blessing would sometimes take the form of healing. But undeniably, there was an impartation. Sometimes that blessing would be just merely an affirmation and an acceptance of the individual. A show of what some may call moral support. And yet we recognize that it's more than just moral, it's spiritual. And so there is a summary of the laying on of hands with regards to impartation. The impartation of blessing. But there's another aspect, and that's ordination. Ordination. An ordination would basically involve the endorsement, the appointment of an individual to ministry. An endorsement or appointment of an individual to ministry. So, we recognize that this happened in the life of the apostles in the sense that when they laid their hands, and we talked about this last week, when they laid their hands on certain individuals, God done things. And as a result, they were recognized to truly be messengers of God. God worked, God moved when they put their hands on people. And so they were recognized to be specially sent messengers appointed by Jesus Christ. The apostles were significant in that regard. So last week we mentioned Acts chapter 8, where they laid hands on individuals and those individuals spoke with the Holy Spirit, spoke by the Holy Spirit, spoke in tongues. In Acts chapter 5, it says this in verse 12, and through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. Through the hands of the apostles, specifically, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And so they set a precedent in the establishing of the church. Jesus had appointed them, had called them, had set them apart, had commissioned and dispatched them. And that needed to be proven. People needed to be able to accept their message as being authorized and appointed by God. And so God worked various signs by their hands. And yet we see the principle continued in the church with regards to appointment. So those individuals, having been authorized by God, they went on to appoint others. They went on to appoint others to the work of the ministry. 
Others who did not share in the same authority as the apostles. I mean, can we look to anyone else to have the authority to write scripture? Not at all. And yet we see that within God's plan for his people, the church, he has ordained that there would be structure. He has ordained that there would be structure. And for many of us, that's challenging. You know what? I see structure all around me. And more time it's corrupt. And I'm not interested. I see corrupt police. And I see racist teachers. And I just look all around me and I just see corruption in structures. And so the problem is structure. No, the problem isn't structure. The problem is the people. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so therefore things get perverted. Things get distorted. And yet God has purposed. God has purposed that among his people, the church, there would be a, a, a pure picture, a true picture of what structure ought to look like. And so we see the laying on of hands is an act that plays its part in identifying those who are set apart for God's service. Historically, we see reflections of the act in the book of Joshua. Sorry, with the, um, the, the minister of Joshua. As he was appointed by Moses in Numbers 27. And you can turn there with me if you would. Numbers 27 verses 18 to 23. Numbers 27, 18 to 23. And we see that Moses is coming to the end of his Ministry career, as it were, coming to the end of his life. And there's a need to appoint a successor. And so, how does Moses go about appointing his successor? Well, here we see verse 18. And the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, the son of Nun, with you, a man in whom is the spirit, and lay your hand on him. Set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation and inaugurate him in their sight. And you shall give some of your authority to him that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. He shall stand before Eleazar the priest, who shall inquire before the Lord for him by the judgment of the Urim. At his word they shall go out, and at his word they shall come in. He and all the children of Israel with him, all the congregation. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua and set him before Eleazar, the priest, and before all the congregation. And he laid his hands on him and inaugurated him, just as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. And we see clearly an official appointment of Joshua. An official endorsement of Joshua as the successor, as God's appointed person. And everyone needed to know and everyone needed to recognize. And so he who was already appointed, appointed the one who was to follow. Joshua didn't just big up his chest 
Phew, you know, Moses, is, his, his, his eyes are dimming. No, no, they're not. But, you know, he's, he's getting old. Because <laughs> Moses' eyes, he, they never grew dim. That's what the scripture says. So, I don't know, preach heresy up here. He's getting old, he's getting old. And, um, you know, I think I'm the man for the job. You know, when Moses was up the mountain, I was halfway up waiting for him. I was there. And so everybody follow me. I'm the successor. I'm the one who's going to take over. Joshua didn't put himself forward. God identified Joshua. But what we do see, if you're familiar with the story, is the fact that the grace of God was already evidently upon Joshua. So when God said, you know what? Joshua's the one. There weren't no surprise. <gasps> what? Joshua. That brother. We hardly ever see him. Jo- Joshua, he turns and take, he takes flight in battle. There was no surprises. Because what God had simply done was openly identified the work he had already been doing inwardly in Joshua's life. And this is one of the principles that we recognize and we see carried through into the New Testament. Listen, when God's appointing people, it is such that men identify and lay hands, but they're only recognizing what God is already doing. And it should be clear and evident to all. There are brothers among us who we're looking forward to Appointing as elders. There are brothers among us who we're looking forward to openly acknowledging and endorsing as deacons. And yet, are they waiting for open endorsement and recognition before they function in that capacity? No. They're already doing it. Praise be to God. Men filled with the spirit. Committed to the truth. With unwavering love for his people. And so when it happens, there ain't going to be no surprise. You're not going to be looking up there thinking, oh, who's that guy? Where did he come from? So there was an open endorsement, but there was also... An endowment, a a gifting, an empowering that took place. Deuteronomy 34 verse 9 says it like this. Now Joshua the son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom. For Moses had laid his hands on him. Hey. Deuteronomy 34 verse 9. For those who are taking notes. It says Joshua the son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom. For Moses, this is the reason why, because Moses had laid his hands on him. And so, when God endorses an individual to ministry, he also equips. He also equips. When God endorses, he also empowers Because we can do nothing of ourselves. We can do nothing in our own strength. You know what? You could have been the CEO of a FTSE 100 company. Don't think that that means anything in the scheme of God. When it comes to leading his people. Moses was up in Pharaoh's courts. Trained in Egypt. And yet God had to take him into the wilderness for 40 years to strip him down. Empty him out. Because it's not of ourselves. We bring nothing to this. It is a work of God. It is completely reliant upon the enabling of God. And so we see at that point of endorsement, 
open affirmation and appointment, there is also the empowerment, the endowment, the grace provided to fulfill the function. And so, in the New Testament, God has established his people, the church, and he has established structure. And it's quite a simple structure. Elders and deacons. Jesus is the head. And it's a bottom-heavy structure. What do I mean by that? You see, Jesus made it clear that New Testament leadership, godly leadership, is not as the Gentiles do. Where they lord it over. All right, well, you know what? You look, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here. Um, I've got a job for you to do. It's a special job. I can only entrust certain people to do this job. If you go around the corner, look in the cupboard, you see a mop and a bucket. The toilets are flooded. Away you go. Using means of manipulation to try and get you to do things you don't want to do. So on and so on and so forth. Sitting down, relying on everyone else to do everything else at my beck and call. That's earthly human leadership. Getting in your face and shouting at you. When they feel that you haven't produced the goods, that's earthly human leadership. But godly leadership is servant leadership. It's Jesus washing, assuming the position of the lowest of all household servants and washing the feet of his disciples. That is godly leadership. It is becoming the servant of all. It is recognizing the purpose to which you're called and seeking to rally the people of God toward the fulfillment of that purpose. Leading by example. And so... Leadership within the church is supposed to be a bottom-heavy structure, not top-heavy. Well, you know, you have the, um, the, 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 the ushers um, who are just under the administrators, and then the administrators are just under the deacons. And um, then you've got the, the deacons who are, there's a kind of another layer in there that are maybe, hmm, maybe the, those guys who are. And then, then you've got the elders, and then you've got the super elders, and then the bishops. And then after the bishops, you've got the prelates. And all of a sudden, you've got this big hierarchy. When we see scripture says elders and deacons. And so there's structure. But whichever way you look at it, it's supposed to be one of servitude. And in 1 Timothy 3, 1, he says, Paul says this, he says, if anyone desires the office of a bishop, meaning an overseer, he desires a good work. A good work. And I remember coming up in the faith, people having a desire to be active in ministry. A people having a desire to want to serve God and know their purpose in the plan of God. Do you know what your calling is? Do you know what your ministry is? And whether or not the question was supposed to be asked or even answered, what was expressed is a desire to serve God. Now sometimes that can be selfish ambition. Sometimes that can be just a desire to want to be recognized. Especially if you're in an environment where you're used to seeing your leaders have their Bibles carried and thrones at the front. And, and that's what people can then hanker after. I want my armor bearer. My Bible carrier. Car parker. No, 
No, it's not about, obviously, selfish ambition. And we must guard our hearts with all diligence in all that we do. And yet, you know what? I want to encourage holy ambition today. I want to encourage holy ambition among us. A holy ambition that is one that desires the good work. It's like Paul in 1 Corinthians talking about the gifts. He says, desire, covet the best gifts. What are the best gifts? Wow, man. I like to walk on water, you know. Woo! Can't we go swimming pool? <laughs> I've, got, I've got another level of gifted. No, the ones that are most beneficial to the body. The ones that edify the most. And we see what's communicated is holy ambition. Listen, love God's people. Be about the work of God. Look at how you can serve and plug in and contribute and be used by God. Holy ambition. Where's our holy ambition? We need some holy ambition. To desire to be useful in the hands of God. Among the people of God in a way that's going to be a blessing. Not for our glory but for his. There's a need for holy ambition. That we would seek after God as to how we can serve him. However we can serve him. And sometimes, you know, it's challenging because we want to serve God a certain way. Like, Lord, I want to serve you. Use me, Lord. Take me. Break me. Mold me. Use me. That's what we sing. And then someone says, you know what, I wonder if you can come and help early. Come in early and help because, you know, we've got the chairs and, you know, Pastor P's not going to be here and we could just do with some help. Oh, you know, I work so hard during the week and really coming in early. But if we said to that person, you know, and we need someone to lead communion today. Oh, yeah. Just been reading up on that, you know. We want to define how God might use us. Some of you have heard the story of my red suit. Any of you remember the story of my red suit? All right, put your hand up if you have, just so I know. All right, forgive me. Bear with me, yeah? Bear with me because there's a majority that haven't. The story, you want to hear the story of my red suit? Hey. Anyway, I've got, I got X amount of stories with that red suit. There's a prison story that comes with that red suit. But I'm not going to talk about the prison story today. Some of you might remember that as well. Listen, I bought this suit, right? The suit was a red suit, but it wasn't red like, like Pastor Robert's jumper red. It, it, was a, it was a wine. Yeah, more like the curtains. Not, not, not so bright. More subtle, you know, because it's a suit. It was more subtle. And on this particular occasion, there was going to be a, a meeting. Now, I was used to, at my church, serving as part of the praise team. <clears throat> and... The leader of the praise team asked me to come along to this conference that was going to be held at Westminster Central Hall. It was going to be a, a full, full conference. So that speaker's going to be there and so on. And so, because she asked me to come along and help, I thought to myself, okay. So, going to be singing, you know, part of the team, so on and so forth. So, they come now and I thought to myself, hmm, it's Westminster Central Hall. You know what, let me put on something right. So I took out, took out a red suit, you know. Hey, listen. And I had one little pink shirt. Don't watch that, man. That, that, was, that, was, that was carrying the swing those days. Don't worry about that. It was, and it wasn't like a bright pink. Again, it was just one of those kind of, it was a tone. A tone, you know, yeah, it's a tone. And then my tie... 
So I went along. I was like, okay. Came early, was there. They hadn't started sound checking yet. And so um, time for sound check came now, and I was there on stage, made my way on stage, you know. And I um, was kind of wondering, okay, which mic is mine? So <laughs> the, the, the leader of the team kind of looked over, and I didn't really get it, you know. I mean, I guess I should have done. But then eventually she was like, you know what, I wonder if you can go and help someone do something, blah, 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 blah. So there's me thinking, okay, right, I'm going to go off and just help them sort this out, and then I'll come back and I'll sound check. So I'm off helping this person, and I hear the sound check going on. And I'm thinking to myself, but I'm supposed to be in there sound checking, and I'm around the back here helping. Okay, well, let me just get this done anyway. So sound check's finished now. I'm still helping around the back. The person who I'm helping says, look, you know what? Um, we need someone to stay here. <laughs> now you have to understand where I was. I was in a cupboard under the stage. You might, I, I'm not even exaggerating. It would be like if this was a bigger stage, yeah, and the cupboard was round the side, and it was, it was a small room. And they said, we need someone to stay here and make sure no one comes in here and then after the singing, they're going to take up the offering. And when they take up the offering, they're going to bring the offering around here. So we'd really appreciate it if you'd stay here um, and while they count the offering and so on. So I was like, I said, well, um, and I'm thinking now, because here, you've, all I'm hearing in my mind is after the singing. So what, I've got to stay here. I'm not going to. And I thought, and then I thought, sound check's finished and everyone's filling up their seats. And the penny began to drop. There won't be no singing today. So I was like, okay, yeah, no, no problem, no problem. Listen, in this room, you couldn't even stand upright fully. You had to stoop. So there's me in my red suit, hearing all the singing going on. I couldn't even see it. Sitting in this room, me and Jesus. <laughs> and the offering came, and they counted the offering, and they went. And they said, look, we need someone just to stay here. And I, I stayed there the whole service, the whole meeting. I was there in my red suit. I could have put on a tracksuit. I could have. No one saw me, and I saw no one. Furthermore, when I came out, all I see is my friends. Oh, I didn't know you was here. <laughs> Listen. There's me with my aspirations as to how I'm going to serve God. I'm ready to serve God. And yet, the Lord showed me, you wanted to serve me? You served me tonight. You served me. Faithfully, you've done what you had to do. Are you not happy with that? Are you not satisfied? Did you not serve me? And you know what? I went home singing. Because I felt like the Lord had taught me, taught me something that I needed to learn, and yet so graciously. At first it was hard. I was brewing. All had on some brown shoes, they were quite new, kind of tight. <laughs> and yet the Lord showed me, you know what, you can't tell me how you want to serve me. It's up to me how you will serve me. And just because you've served me in this way, it don't mean that's how you're ever going to serve me. It don't mean that I don't have anything else for you. Furthermore, sometimes there's times when I just want you to play the low in your eyes. But Jesus said, he who is faithful in little is faithful in much. Now, hear that properly, you know. He who is faithful in little is. It's not, it's like being faithful. Is faithful in much. Yeah. 
Because God's economy of scale and ours is two different things. We look at it as minor. Oh, carrying speakers, tabernacle team, that's minor. I want to be on the praise team or, uh, you know, I want to lead a ministry. But it's much in the sight of God. And so let us not, in our holy ambition that we're seeking to cultivate and develop and nurture, let us not be such that we are narrow-minded or short-sighted as to what serving God means. Serving means serving. And when a person is appointed to ministry, they're appointed to serve. I remember the first time I went to Calvary Chapel, Westminster, and I see Pastor Brian there, evening service. And at the end of the service, I saw him with a broom in his hand. And I thought to myself, this don't make sense. You have to understand, it's my first time. I'm coming from a completely different environment. You don't even see the pastor at the end of the service. And I'm thinking to myself, you ain't in no Italian suit, crocodile shoes. It's just straightforward. I ain't got nothing against Italian suits and whatever if that's your thing. But when it's just used as a status symbol and a means of, you know, pretentiousness, then we can do without that. But it wasn't that. And furthermore, it was a broom. And I was like, wow. And I learned a lesson in ministry right there. It don't matter how high you think you've reached in ministry, you're never too big to pick up a broom. Them times I didn't even know Pastor Brian. I didn't know that he's on radio when he was back in California. He's got ministry team that serves with him, alongside him. And he's got receptionist and administrator and secretary and and he's on radio X amount of times a week, gone out to how much million people across California. And but what I knew was the brother with the broom. Don't matter how far you reach. And we would get opportunity to do music ministry and go to America and go to different places in the world and do music ministry. And you know, those lessons served us well. Because too often you find people in those situations that they get stardust in their eyes. And you know what? We've seen it. We've, we've been to certain festivals, like big festivals in the States. They, they, they take over a park like Fort Park, like it's nothing. And they've got like three or four different stages and side stages. And there's just Christian artists galore. A wash. Big names, quote unquote. And you go into the hospitality tent. Everyone's schmoozing. Networking. Talking producers and studios. Labels and barrier and whatever. And you know, it's always refreshing in those situations. It was always refreshing in those situations. To come across those who were just humble. People that never really got too carried away with themselves. They, they realize that, you know what, I'm not anything. I'm just rendering a service unto the Lord according to that which he's enabled me. And, um, you know, I'm happy to sit down and talk about family. And I'm happy to sit down and talk about married life and, you know, what I've been reading in devotions this week. I don't have to try and impress you with where I got my album mastered and who produced on it and... Ministry is spelt W-O-R-K. <clears throat> and so, may we cultivate a holy ambition. May we covet the best gifts, the most edifying to be used. Because the reality is that, yes, God has inspirational gifts that work by his spirit. But he also has relational gifts. Some people are gifted in administration. Some gifted in 
organization, ministry of help. Some are gifted as teaching. Some, there's all kinds of relational gifts. Some people are gifted in giving, Romans tells us. Relational gifts. Seek to employ those enablements that the Lord has given you for his glory. And as you do so, there will be those who will be formally and openly appointed unto ministries because they're already moving in that direction. They're already functioning in that way. And they're people that are entrusted with a visible responsibility who can be relied on and are also to be listened to. Sometimes we don't like it when the ushers say, no, sorry, we've got to keep the door closed now. Can you go around? And we want to just, oh, please, let me just cut through. Going around is so long, especially when it's cold and it's rainy, right? But we've got to listen to them because the brothers are rendering a service unto the Lord. And so it doesn't matter who it is or what position it is that they're in. We have to listen to them also. And we're definitely at a place as a church where we are going to be engaging in the laying of hands and appointing people openly to ministry. People are already in those functions. And we're going to have the delight in endorsing people to us as a body and to those who will come and say, these are guys who have been proven because we see that there are certain cautions that go with it. Know those that labor among you. So you don't just... Wow, someone comes in and they've got a great reputation and so on and so forth. Get to know them. Where's their heart at? Where the beliefs at? Where's the character? Paul said to Timothy, as a note of caution in 1 Timothy 5, do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. There is a necessity for people to be proven before appointed. Because harking back to Leviticus and the example of the scapegoat, there is an association that is made when you openly endorse someone. There is an association that is made. And so if that person is harboring secret sin and so on and so forth, that association comes back to you. And as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So don't quickly and readily associate yourself with someone who may be of a shady disposition, who will bring shame upon you by whom you will be guilty through association. Mm -mm. Take your time. And so there may be some who kind of feel, especially when you see certain people getting appointed, you feel like, oh, what about me? Don't worry. God's got you. He sees and he knows. And when God's ready for you, he will come and find you like David in the sheep pen. All the big brothers, them lined off, handsome, ruddy, men of war. Samuel the prophet comes through, looking through the ranks. <laughs> nah. Hmm. No peace. Something. Who's missing? Who's missing? Because he's not here. The one that the Lord has sent me to appoint is not here. They look the part, but... Well, I've got one little son is out in a sheep pen, but he's just one younger. David. Bring him come. You see, when the Lord's ready for you, he will find you. You know the ones, don't call us, we'll call you. <laughs> the Lord will find you. And all you need to do is be faithful. Faithful right where you are. Faithful where you're planted. You might be in children's church and you're up there on your rota faithfully, you're in on time, and you're there serving those children, and no one don't know. But the Lord knows, and he sees. And so, where cautioned as leaders not to lay hands on anyone suddenly, 
And in that, you can be assured that when it's your time to be appointed to whatever area of ministry that the Lord would have you advance in and take responsibility for, the Lord will make it clear. And you know what? If you're serving, you will never be overlooked. But if you're waiting for an appointment to serve, you're going to wait a long time. So the laying on of hands, impartation and ordination. And with the ordination, as we see in the verse that we anchored with, 1 Timothy 4, he was appointed by the elders. He was a young pastor in Ephesus. The letters Paul wrote to him, he wrote as training up and helping to encourage a young pastor. They call them pastoral letters. And he says to Paul, look, don't neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Listen, fam, the elders have recognized you. They've recognized the grace of God and they've laid hands and there's been an impartation. There's been a gifting and equipping for the call. And the word has been spoken over you. So don't be discouraged. Paul had, um, Paul Timothy had issues with being a young pastor. To the point where Paul had to say to him, don't let no one despise your youth. Be an example. And this was another one of those exhortations. You've been recognized. You've been endorsed and you've been endowed. So do this. And we see such as being the means by that, that through which God builds the church and establishes us in strength through structure. We're to cultivate a holy ambition that we would be a people who desire to please God, to serve him in all that we do, not just on Sundays. Our lives are his we are not our own. We have been bought with a price. When we're mapping out our career plans, we're to do so with the kingdom purposes of God. Not even in mind, but as the ruler against which we make our decisions. Because that is our primary calling. That's why we're here as believers. That's why we're here, not just to satisfy ourselves and get ahead in life, but to further the kingdom of God. And if we're not doing that, we're slipping. That's why this is one of the foundational principles that we're supposed to move on from. Lord, we thank you for your goodness towards us in that you would seek to include us in your work, that you would seek to involve us in the fulfillment of your will and your purpose, your agenda. And Lord, we pray that you would forgive us for where we have not yielded ourselves to you, where we've been selective about how we want to serve you. Forgive us, Lord where we've not even desired to serve you, but rather put ourselves first and our own agendas. Help us, Lord, I pray. Help us, Lord, to nurture a holy ambition. The ambition to see your name glorified, to see your kingdom come, your will done on earth as in heaven, through us, your people. And so help us, Lord, and Lord, for all of those that are looking for purpose in life, having no sense of direction, looking through papers at jobs and just feeling no, no connection, not knowing what to do, we recognize that, Lord, that may well be their case because they've not met you. And until they know you, they won't know their purpose. 
And so Lord, I pray for anyone here today who does not know you and is living a purposeless, meaningless life. I pray, Lord, that you would make yourself known to them. And if that's you today, I challenge you and I encourage you. If you truly want abundant life, if you want to know life in all its fullness and have a clear sense of purpose and direction in life, know Jesus. He calls you today. And he says, you know what? Turn from your ways. Turn to me. Stop trying to do it in your own way according to your own reckoning. Learn of me. And I'll give you rest. You won't need to strive anymore. And so, Lord, we thank you for this time and for your word, for the affirmation that we experience as we put our hand on a shoulder, offer an encouraging word, as we pray for one another, as we minister to one another, as, Lord, we appoint those who are called to ministry. And that, Lord, you work among us. Thank you, Lord, for that hope and expectation that we have in you, in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask Tim and the guys to come back.